millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. I hope that uh, no one is listening to this episode first like this is their first episode they're gonna listen to of our show okay because i'm so loopy right now but that could be good maybe i don't know i just got (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna find out i just worked a 13 hour day so i'm exhausted right and i'm just always exhausted and i ate a pizza to my we both just literally scarfed a pizza as if eating it faster made the calories not relevant That was how, when I was eating, I was like, why am I eating this so fast? It's like, I don't even want to have this memory. Dude, it was so good, but we were both eating way too fast. It was really fast. And it was like one of the spiciest pizzas I've ever had in my life. My mouth was on fire. Which is a good thing. I love spicy. Uh, yeah, it was really good from Moza. Yeah. Our best pizza place. It is the best. Um, we're not going to talk a lot about ourselves because we don't do that on this show. <laughs> Um, one thing we're not doing the recap. Obviously the Versace show is over, so we don't have the recap starting up. This episode is going to be long though. So I feel like that's a good, yeah, good thing. I do want to say that I did watch the premiere of the show trust, which is also an FX and it's about the John Paul Getty, the third, I think yeah. kidnapping that happened in the 1970s. Uh, I only watched the first episode. I think it airs on Sunday nights. So we weren't able to recap it yeah. just based on when we do the podcast. Uh, but it was really good. And I watched. It's really campy, and like Donald Sutherland is in, in oh, it. Oh, I love so him. So he's like one of my early childhood crushes. Of course he is. Uh, and he's so good in it. It's just really fun. It's kind of made me think. Like I wish <laughs> Versace had this kind of tone because this was a show where I was like immediately from the first episode I was like hooked. Like it's really really good. Right. Um, were you gonna say something? I I watched uh, Wild Wild Country. Oh yeah, that was the true crime <clears throat> thing you did. This show week. I did this week, and it was fantastic. It's on Netflix, and that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. I just want to thank our patrons really quick. Okay, so we got some new Patreon contributors this week. Thank you guys very very much. This week we had Nikki, we had Hannah, we had Jet, and that's it. Thanks, Thank guys. you, guys. That's so sweet. Yeah. Um, so anyways, let's get right into it. Yeah. What are we even talking about so, this week? Once again, I was doing my little Desi little <laughs> research. What's happening? What's coming up? Or, you know, seeing if I could yeah. tie something to what's coming out. And there is a um, story that I've actually always been interested in. And a movie is coming out, uh, I think, April 6th called Chappaquiddick, which is a, a movie starring Ed Helms, Kate Mara, Zero Dark Thirties, Jason Clark stars as Ted Kennedy, and the film is directed by John Curran. Uh, if you haven't figured out what the movie is about yet, <laughs> it's about the Chappaquiddick incident, which um, not only led to the death of a young woman named Mary Jo Kopechnik, Kopechny, but basically ruined the presidential aspirations of Ted Kennedy. Rachel, do you remember... <laughs> I did not write this. (laughs) Rachel, do you remember the days when people had political careers um, ruined when they committed crimes or did things like scream weird at a rally? I was going to mention Howard (laughs) Dean because I feel like I remember. Yeah. Not too long ago, people used to do insane things and their political careers would literally be be ruined. That's not the case today. Uh, No, that is not the case. This incident is a little bit more than the scream, but I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. Anyways, uh, according to Koran, the movie is based on a verbatim testimony from Ted Kennedy and all of his written statements, which I will get to at this uh, in the um, at the end of this. Uh, a lot of that comes from an inquest that happened a couple of weeks after yeah. the accident happened. One of the reasons this story has persevered for so long is because it's full of a ton of holes contradictions uh and there's always more questions that need to be answered yeah there it's just a never-ending because there was a huge cover-up basically something happened and no one really knows what happened the chief question that most people want to know is 
how did the accident happen and what happened in the 10 hours between when it happened and when Ted Kennedy actually reported it or it was found out. Uh, so I'm not going to go into who Ted Kennedy is because I'm assuming you're all not a bunch of morons and you'll know who he is. Uh, besides being uh, the brother of two famous or a part of this Kennedy family, which is a huge... I don't know. Do people overseas <clears throat> know the Kennedys that well? I think so. I mean, I they're mean, like it's... the royal family kind of that level, right? Okay. Uh, he was also a really successful senator himself and a, actually a longtime champion of universal health care. I actually was reading some research. He helped co-sponsor a bill with Richard Nixon in 1972 that was basically the universal mandate, like to get universal coverage. So it's like he had been involved in that process or that fight for a really right. long time. I think Obama even thanked him when Ted, uh, Kennedy. Ted Kennedy, when the um, ACA passed. Um, anyways, he... Uh, other than one failed primary challenge against Carter in 1980, he never came close to being president. And he was considered a sort of front runner uh, before this uh, incident happened. And he's kind of widely seen as a tragic figure just on his own, not even as being part of the Kennedy family. Uh, in any other family, he probably would have been like a major success. But because his brothers were Robert Kennedy and JFK, he kind of just was seen as this sort of loser uh, son. Um, so this idea that he is this sort of, you know, always chasing his brother's success is really central to this story. In fact, Quran, uh, Quran, I don't really know how to say his name. I'm sorry. Opens the film Chappaquiddick with a recreation of a TV interview in which Ted is asked if, if it was difficult living in the shadows of his two brothers. And in that moment, he sits silent for a moment, gets up, shakes the interview's hand, and says, I think you have what you need. So it's something that always sort of it hung over him. him. Uh, the movie actually looks really good, and I've seen only great reviews, so I can't wait to see it. Uh, and it's been described as a portrait of an amiable fuck-up's descent into cynicism and his reluctant embrace of, his, of the family business, whose cost of entry is part of his his soul. I didn't write that. That was some over-the-top over the writer, obviously, <laughs> not me. So uh, I'm going to just say one more quote from a book called The Kennedy Imprisonment, A Meditation on Power, uh, that was written by Gary Willis. And this is also sort of hitting that theme home about where we're, you know, where he's coming from. Edward Kennedy has to keep living three lives at once. He has no one but ghosts at his side, and they count more against than for him. Eclipse him with bright images from the past. One brother drew on brother for fresh strength. Now brother drains brother, all the dead inhibiting the one that has lived on. For Teddy, I believe this has proved an insoluble dilemma as well as a terrible burden. And there are few among us, I suspect, who could have done much better than he in coping with it on a daily and nightly basis for half his life, with the impossible exception of the events surrounding Chappaquiddick. So this this moment was his sort of, like where we have the nervous breakdown over the one small thing. Right. So let's get into it. Uh, this all happened basically a year after the assassination of Robert Kennedy. So this is the next summer, um, uh, which is 1969. In July, Friday, July 18th, 1969, Ted Kennedy was going to the annual Edgartown Yacht Club Regatta on Martha's, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and that was like a kind of rich people sailboat racing right. uh, weekend. And then obviously... It was sailboat racing during the day, and at night it was fucking partying, uh, and Ted Kennedy was a willing participant in both of those things. Um, so he was going to be racing his boat, which was called the Victoria, on both Friday and Saturday afternoons, and at night he had uh, plans to attend private parties. Among those attending the parties were six young women who had all been um, active with Bobby's 1968 presidential campaign, and they were known as the Boiler Gr Room Girls. Um, men were also invited to these parties, and this is sort of like a little tidbit. All six men at the parties were married. All six women were unmarried and under the age of 28. So there was these young campaign worker girls uh, and these older kind of married powerful guys. married men. Uh, the same weekend, which is almost sort of Shakespearean <laughs> in its level of like tragedy or just a weirdness, JFK's longtime dream of putting a man on the moon, something that he had wanted to happen by the end of the decade, was also happening that weekend. Yeah. That was the weekend of the Apollo 11, Neil Armstrong, one small step for man, da-da-da-da-da. Right. 
So at the same time, this horrible thing is happening for Ted, which hasn't happened yet in my story. This major thing for his brother's success and legacy right. is also happening, which I just thought was it's really poetic. interesting. Yeah, it, yeah. So like I said before, this regatta weekend was a wild time for rich white people, and they were literally rock stars trashing rooms and partying with fucking old school money, alcoholic style, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that kind of partying, which uh, actually sounds pretty fun. And Teddy was like, you know, known for his debauchery at these weekends in the past. They didn't go the previous year because of uh, Bobby's assassination, uh, or it might, not have, it might not have happened yet. But anyways, they missed the year before. But this year, um, Joey Gargon, who was a Kennedy cousin, began to plan the regatta weekend like in May. That's how big of a deal it was. Because Ted Kennedy was already being groomed to be the Democratic nominee for 1972, uh, Joey had a little bit more... Uh, pressure that year. He wanted to make sure that any spotlight that Ted had on him would be favorable. He didn't right. want him to get in trouble or be seen as like a wild party animal. He was 37 at the time, by the way. And since RFK's assassination, Ted's behavior had been more and more erratic. Uh, I think it was just drinking a lot. Right. Um, surprise. He reserved a number of motel rooms that were on the main island. And then for the parties, he had rented a small cottage on the adjacent island called Chappaquiddick. Uh, this was separated from the town of Egerton by a small channel that was only 150 yards across. And basically what you would do is go by ferry back and forth. So your car would go on like a flatbed ferry, and that's how people got back and forth between these two islands. Now, when he arrived on Martha's Vineyard, Teddy was met by his longtime chauffeur, Jack Crimmins, who had driven down from Boston in Teddy's 1967 Oldsmobile a few days before. Teddy actually immediately went to race that day on Friday afternoon. He finished ninth and started drinking rum and coke shortly after, uh, before switching to beers. At some point, Criminis, uh, Criminins, sorry, picked him up in the Oldsmobile and ferried him across the channel to the party that was happening at the house. That was about 7 p.m. when they went across the channel to the party. And the ferry operator who took them across was actually the last person not at the party to positively see Ted Kennedy until 2.25 a.m. the next morning when the manager of the Shire Town Inn where they had the hotel rooms happened to be out standing outside and saw Ted Kennedy coming down a staircase that led from the deck outside his second room floor. He was dressed in a suit, jacket, and slacks and seemed very distressed according to the manager. He... Um, asked Teddy if he was okay and he needed help in any way. And then Teddy uh, said that he had been awakened by noise coming from a party next door and couldn't find his watch. And he just seemed like out of sorts. Mm -hmm. The manager said it was 2.25 a.m. Ted said thank you and went back up to his stairs. The manager, after the fact, said he didn't look like a man who had come downstairs to complain about noise. He was dressed in a suit. It wasn't like he woke up he out of bed. He wasn't sleeping. Yeah. <clears throat> so he kind of, it stood out to him. About five, five, five hours later, Ted returned to the lobby of the Shire Town and asked the desk clerk to reserve any copies of that day's Boston Globe and New York Times. He was freshly shaven and dressed in yachting clothes and appeared normal in every way. He asked for money to uh, make a phone call at a um, payphone, uh, and the clerk gave him a dime. I mean, that's how long ago this was. <laughs> when he, act, he walked outside onto the porch, and the clerk kind of overheard him talking to somebody on the phone and saying that something very serious had happened and that he needed the phone number of Steve Smith, who was a family lawyer for right. the Kennedys. He also ran into the guy who won the, the race the previous day and just was sort of chit-chatting with him about uh, the race. The wife of this guy said that she saw Joey, who was um, Joey Gargan, the cousin, mm -hmm. and he looked awful. His clothes were all wrinkled and his hair was sticking out. And he just looked like a mess. Um, at some point she said... Uh, he was accompanied by a man uh, that she did not recognize, and both men, her husband later told state police, appeared soaking wet. Shortly after 9.30 a.m., uh, Ted stood outside the shack where the payphone was, and another, senator, uh, another man approached him. This time it was a stranger. He said, Senator, do you know there's a girl found dead in your car? Teddy simply stared at him and didn't respond. Do you need a ride down to the bridge? The man's name was actually um, named uh, Betancourt. Um, and he said, Teddy said, no, I don't need a ride. Betancourt was kind of puzzled by this. Cause it's like, well, if someone was found dead in your car, why wouldn't you want to find out what was going on? Right. right. 
So the police had just dispatched um, Betancourt from uh, the bridge where the um, they were waiting for the local medical examiner. The chief had been summoned to Chappaquiddick earlier that day when two fishermen had seen an overturned car submerged about in about six feet of water near the wooden bridge that led to a private beach on the island. The, the chief came and soon they found that there was a body inside the car. He summoned, and that's when he summoned the medical examiner. He also noticed that the number on the license plate and traced the registration, and it was uh, a shocking revelation that the car belonged to Senator Ted Kennedy. Wow. So at some point that morning, Ted actually did go to the Edgar Town police station, and he said that he had been in, he said nothing about an accident involving his car, but he asked the officer on duty if he could use the telephone. So Ted is like all over town making these phone calls, and he doesn't have a fucking dime to his name to make these phone calls. I was going to say, how? why is he asking for money? I think he said he couldn't find his wallet, or he, he didn't know where his wallet... I mean, it's all very suspect, right? right. So she, everyone knows who this guy is, right? right. So she comes into the office, and she's like, of course, Mr. Kennedy, like, right. right this way. Like, here, come into the chief's office and make your private phone calls, like, all to yourself. Like, not knowing anything is going on, right? right. So uh, inside the chief's office, he was making phone calls, and she overheard sort of snippets of conversations, including things like... Well, we'll have to notify her parents. And a few minutes later, in a different tone of voice, I have some sad news to tell you. Uh, the police chief at the time is a man named Dominic Arena, and he was actually looking around for Ted Kennedy, happened to call the office, and the secretary was like, yeah, he's here in your office making phone calls. So he goes back to the office, the, uh, the police chief, and he tells Kennedy... I have some bad news. There's been another tragedy. Your car was in an accident over here, and there's a young lady dead. And Ted Kennedy said, I know. Police chief asked several more questions, like, can you tell me, was there anyone else in the car? Uh, no, no, no. Can I talk to you? Can I see you? Also, another interesting thing is when the police chief um, shows up, Ted sort of goes into this politician mode where he's like, really like affable and shaking his hand, like, hi, Jim. Like, I'm Ted Kennedy. Like, this kind of like weird... Uh, role reversal, which was out of sync with what the secretary initially said he was because acting he was like. frantic. Right. And it's also like, this guy's in charge. Like, I need to act like... And he's like this kind of using his celebrity, I think, in a way to kind of, you know, charm everybody. Right. Uh, later, Arena noted that it, the senator was in dry, clean clothes, uh, and he seemed poised, confident, and in control while he was using the office and telephone. And then he's like, I'm standing here in a puddle of water in a state of confusion because he just came from the car and he walks into his office and Ted Kennedy's like, hey, like, welcome. The next thing that shocked the police chief is Ted calmly informed him, I was the driver in the accident. Uh, he had assumed that the young woman who was in the car uh, he wrongly assumed her name was Rosemary Keough because there was a handbag in the backseat of the car with her identification. And because Ted had told them there were no other victims in the water, he wasn't he wasn't sure, like, had anyone else had escaped, like, what was going on. The chief was stunned by this matter-of-fact statement that Ted had been driving the car, and he asked her about Rosemary Keough. So let me get this straight. This is a guy who is basically at this point acting completely nonchalant about the fact that there's a dead body that has been found in his car. Right. And he knows it all and is sort of acting very calm and cool and collected, making phone calls while these people are investigating this thing that he knows is going on because this is a, all a very small area. Yeah, I um, can imagine. So Ted said, actually, her name is Mary Jo Kopechny, and I've already notified her parents. Arena at this point is still dripping and he picks up like a pen and paper to get the victim's name. And he's like, how do you spell that? And Ted says, I don't know. I only know how to pronounce it. From uh, inside the office, there's a man named Paul Markham who was there that weekend, one of the six married guys. Mm -hmm. He's also a lawyer. He kind of interjected, we can find out how to spell it later. Okay. So I'm going to give you like a little brief background on Mary Jo Kopechny, who was the victim in the car. She was actually born in Pennsylvania, the only child of Joseph and Gwen Kopechny. At some point, she 
kind of was initially a teacher and she moved to Washington, D.C., where she became enamored with Robert Kennedy and started working on his uh, senatorial staff for his election to the Senate in 1964. As I mentioned before, she was part of that boiler room girl group. Like he had this just avid fan base of people, you know, passionate people who wanted him to become president. She actually worked with him on numerous speeches, some of them that were kind of uh, famous. She was devastated emotionally when he was assassinated on June 5th, 1968. Robert. Right. So she's a big Kennedy stan. Yeah. And she kind of initially thought she was going to leave politics after that, but she got back in and worked for several more campaigns and politicians. So it makes sense that she would be at this party. Right. Well, this party was actually supposedly they were inviting these Robert Kennedy people. Like it was like a reunion almost like, hey, let's all. So uh, she was on her way to being uh, very successful as like whatever, a political consultant and a staff member. Um, She was a devout Catholic. And I'm going to mention this because it comes up a bit later. She was described as um, not not a big drinker and had no reputation for sexual activities with men. (laughs) These are back in the days of slut shaming, my friends. Uh, So this will come up later. Uh, Ted is being handled with kid gloves at this point. The police chief does ask him if he would make uh, a statement. And and Ted says, can I make a written statement? And the police chief agrees to him. He also agreed that he wouldn't release it until Ted's lawyer looked it over. Well, sure. I mean, if some rando had just walked into the police station all Right, he would be... Questioned right away. I mean, this is also a really small town. This is not like, yeah. So there's like a lot of things going on here. Arena later noted uh, that he found it hard to believe that the senator had been in a major automobile accident. His face bore no traces of or any marks. He never sat down or appeared in any kind of physical discomfort. If he had been injured or in shock or confused, nothing of it lingered in our meeting to my observation. Here is Ted Kennedy's statement. Uh... On July 18, 1969, at approximately 11.15 in Chappaquiddick, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, I was driving my car on Main Street on way to get to the ferry back to Edgartown. I was unfamiliar with the road and turned right onto, wait for it, Dyke Road. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. I knew, my, you, I knew you would appreciate that. That's my favorite road. <clears throat> um, instead of bearing hard left on Main Street, uh, After proceeding for approximately one half of a mile on Dyke Road, I descended a hill and came upon a narrow bridge. The car went off the side of the bridge. There was one passenger with me, Miss Mary uh, Jo Kopechny, a former secretary of my brother, Senator Robert Kennedy. The car turned over and sank into the water and landed with the roof resting on the bottom. I attempted to open the door and the window of the car, but have no recollection of how I got out of the car. I came to the surface and then repeatedly dove down to the car in an attempt to see if the passenger was still in the car. I was unsuccessful in the attempt. I was exhausted and in a state of shock. I recall walking back to where my friends were eating. There was a a car parked in front of the cottage and I climbed into the back seat. I then asked for someone to bring me back to Edgerton, Edgertown. I remember walking around for a period of time and then going back to my hotel room. When I fully realized what had happened this morning, I immediately contacted the police. Okay, so there's like a lot of... There's a lot there. No one objected to Ted deciding he wanted to go back to Hyannisport, uh, where the Kennedy compound is, which is crazy to me after what he just basically admitted to in this in this statement, yeah. even though it wasn't released yet. The police chief saw it. But you know what? It's the Kennedys. Someone uh, reported that Ted in the car ride uh, to the uh, private jet that would take him back to Hyannisport said that he was saying over and over again, oh my God, what has happened? What has happened? He immediately disappeared behind the fences of the Kennedy compound. And that's sort of been a thing. Like when any sort of tragedy or scandal or anything happens, it's like this retreat behind these gates in this Kennedy compound they, where they, they go to deal with the rest and of like the all of their lawyers and everything come in and like they make these plans, right? So apparently his dad was still alive at this time, but like very sick and he was in the house and uh, it was reported that he had a conversation with his dad about what had happened. But the dad had just, he didn't want to get into it because the dad had already gone through so much. He like thought his dad couldn't take another um, scandal or like his last son sort of having this last thing. At this point, the press is taking notice of this story. Like, and the uh, police chief felt he had no choice but to make the um, statement public, even though the lawyer hadn't looked at it, which I don't even know is a thing that's necessary. 
So uh, he released the, the statement that I read um, before, and the associate medical examiner who had also gone to the scene, I mentioned him earlier, he, had, he announced that his preliminary finding was that she died by drowning. So um, about 3 p.m. the uh, next, that you know, same day, uh, Arena released a statement saying Senator Kennedy has given the following statement. He read it in its entirety. I th- he actually read it twice so that reporters could get the facts uh, from the statement. Uh, he also said that Ted had been cooperative um, and that the reason for the delay in notifying police about the accident was because, according to Arena, he was in a state of shock. As I said before, the Kennedy crisis team was already in action, uh, getting the boiler girl room uh, boiler room girls to cooperate by not saying anything. So they kind of already started calling the people at the party and saying, "Keep your mouth fucking shut." Right. right? Another thing they did was that they arranged for Ted to get examined by a Kennedy family physician and gave him a diagnosis of a concussion or some sort of damage to the head so they could maybe use that later on to explain why he uh, didn't report things right away. And got dressed. Right. So they were kind of laying all these little groundworks to uh, make him seem like part of the victim, uh, a victim too in the situation. I mean, it's funny to me to think about the doctor because we have the thing with Trump. I, I was going to say doctor. That, that reminds it's me. It's like rich people can just get these fucking doctors to say what they want. Now, in, in general, the press, early press coverage of this was not terrible. Uh, some of the headlines were like, Senator wanders in days for hours. Uh, and they would just describe him as the only surviving brother in a family pursued by tragedy. So he really was the victim right. at first to the and press. Then, they even had like another headline was Ted was the first to call the victim's father as if this was some kind of compassionate move on his part to make sure like the family knew, you know what I mean? Like it was just, so the press coverage was really uh, great at first or not, not bad. Like it was sympathetic. to him. It was sympathetic to him, but the, the uh, victim's parents um, were not having it initially. They were kind of unsatisfied with that phone call that he made to them. they, they uh, said in several interviews that they didn't have any details about what had happened, um, uh, that Ted had not given them a full report. He basically just said, your daughter is dead and and kind of left Jesus. them hanging with no real information about what exactly had happened. Um, the mom was interviewed and she, uh, she asked Ted if Mary Jo had been killed. Like he didn't even start with that. Like he like buried the lead. So she asked him, is she dead at some point? And he was like, yes. Like, how do you not lead with that information, right? right? Like, um, and he basically said how sorry he was and hung up the phone in like a very abrupt uh, phone call. He didn't even mention to them that he was the driver of the car when he called them. This was not publicly known, but privately the chief was growing more mystified by the failure of Ted to contact him regarding further questions he might have uh, and the more he thought about it, Ched's original statement seemed sketched to him. So he was starting to get some doubts about what was happening and if Ted was kind of blowing him off, I guess. He was ghosting him. Um, so, for instance, the initial statement made no mention of the party. It was even more embarrassing because he had to keep admitting to reporters that he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. And he didn't question this main witness to this crime. And everyone was basically in hiding at this point at Hyannisport. Um, by Sunday, after he had further scrutinized the, the statement, the press was really bombarding him with even more legitimate questions, and he didn't know the answers to any of any of them. Um, most of the reporters at that time had were at Chappaquiddick, and they were investigating the scene. The reporters were almost doing the job of the police force. Right. They went down the road, um, and they all came to the same conclusion, basically. Like, he couldn't have unknowingly turned down this road. Like, his his statement that it was an accident was a fucking lie, basically. How come he couldn't uh, have unknowingly? <clears throat> because it wasn't like... Um, he, he had to intentionally turn left to go down this road. It wasn't like a fork where he veered off right. the wrong side. Um, it also had a white line down the middle, like a light reflecting arrow. Yeah. So it was just very obvious that you were turning down Dyke Road. <laughs> Sorry. That sounds like a euphemism. I'm turning down Dyke Road. If I'm I was, tired of men. If I was less tired right now, I would have had a zinger. There are some zingers there. Email us your favorites or tweet at us your favorite zingers. We're tired. Um, so it was just pretty obvious to everyone. Like, how would you accidentally turn down this road, right? Um, the other thing that people were pointing out was he said he was taking her to the ferry 
But this was not the road to the ferry. This was the road to a private beach that he had gone to that day. Look, it doesn't take an investigative journalist to look at this statement and right. realize that there are like several holes. But they're like in this. getting some like facts to to back that up. Right. Right. Um, so he was intentionally turning down this road, probably go to this private beach, and there was a bridge that crossed this thing called Pucha Pound. Wait, Pucha what? Pa- Pucha Pond. Pucha, Pucha, Pucha Pond? Pound. Of course I would say Pucha Pound. Oh. Pound by Pucha. No, it's Pond. I, the, I might be saying all of these words wrong. I'm sorry. It's Massachusetts. Well, sometimes your Pucha turns into right. a pond you when know. you turn down Dyke Road. Thank you. <laughs> At least it has in my experience. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So the implication was pretty clear. He was taking Mary Jo to the beach, not to the ferry. Like, there's just no way this was an accidental thing. Um, There was also a house that was right at where the road uh, and the bridge met. And there was a woman who lived in that house. And she told the police chief that she heard a car go go by faster than usual about midnight the night of the accident. That was something that uh, he never really thought of, but the press really focused on, too. Um, The occupants stated that with certainty that lights were on until well after midnight uh, and that Ted seeking help for a girl who was possibly still alive in the submerged automobile would have walked right past the house with lights on. And they're saying our lights were on well past midnight. So he, you're telling us he walked past the house and wouldn't have gone in to call for help at the first house he saw. Like that makes no sense. Right. So instead when he's exhausted in a state of shock, he walked another 1.2 miles until he reached the cottage where his friends were. I mean, I guess that's possible. (laughs) If you're a dumbass, like, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, um, in fact, there were actually three houses along the way that he passed and could have stopped at for help before he got to the party. So, I mean, the fa- the failure to stop in any of those houses just raised a lot of doubts with people sort of looking into at this At best, case. it shows an extreme lack of judgment. <clears throat> right. And, like, was saving her life really his top priority right. at that point? Like, why? What's going on here? Uh, and then on Sunday, a Chappaquiddick resident named Christopher Look, who was actually a deputy sheriff and fuel oil salesman, and he also worked part-time as a special police officer at private events. So he had like a police background. So his testimony was pretty much sort of believed right away because it was really detailed. Um, he says that on the night of the accident, after he was uh, keeping peace, that's how he described it, at the Edgerton Yacht Club regatta dance that night, that was held from 8 p.m. until 12.30. He went across the channel uh, and saw a car was parked by the dock. As he drove home at about 12.40 uh, on Saturday night, he saw the headlights of a car coming toward him. He slowed to almost a complete halt, and a dark sedan rushed past him. According to him, there was a man driving, a woman in the front seat, and either another person or some clothing in the back seat that appeared to be a shadow of some kind. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He says as soon as it passed him, the, the sedan swung off the paved road and onto a narrow dirt track that led to nowhere. That was uh, locally referred to as Cemetery Road. Um, as if the car realized that they had made a mistake, the driver backed up out back towards the paved road And thinking that the occupants might be lost or in need of directions, he got out of the car and walked toward the sedan. When he was within 10 yards of the car, he, the car backed up further. And now he was close enough to the car, um, where the, the taillights kind of illuminated him. So the person in the car saw him standing there most likely. Before he could get closer, the driver went into forward gear and left a trail of dust and took off down Dyke Road toward the bridge. Um, Look had said he was close enough to see the license plate had the letter L on it and and both the first and last digits after the L were sevens, which is uh, a match for um, Kennedy's license plate. 
He got back into the car and drove home, but about 100 yards from the intersection, he came upon another curious scene. A man and two women were dancing down the middle of the road uh, like a conga line. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. A two-person conga line? No, it was a man and two women, so a three-person conga line. So a line. three-way conga line. Uh he asked if they needed a ride because they were just kind of in the middle and they were like, shove off, buddy. We're not pickups. Now, these were probably people from the party that these Kennedys were at. Like, and this is going to come into play a bit later because they kind of claimed that this party was a low key. Like, hey, what's been going on? I have a question not for a drunken, you, Desi. Yeah. What's more of a lame party cliche? A conga line or a lampshade on the head? A lampshade on the head. Because I feel like a conga line will happen, right? Come on. <laughs> Lampshade in the head has never happened. It's you, never you, you, I just don't believe it. Um, so uh, the next morning, Look actually got a phone call, and someone told him there was a car underwater by Dyke Bridge, and it had the body of a woman in it. He hurried to the scene, and when the car was dragged up from the pond, he said to she, uh, Chief Arena, that's the same car I saw last night. So the press began piecing all of these things together, like because the the police department wasn't. Um, this his testimony contradicts a lot of what Ted Kennedy said. Uh, one of the main things the is the time. Of this this guy look right. Uh, one of the main things that it contradicted was that Ted initially said the accident happened around eleven fifteen p.m. Uh, and looks testimony was that it was more about 1240. The reason this is kind of important is because the ferry stopped running at 12. So if it was after 1240, there was absolutely no reason he would have been going to the ferry because there was no more ferries to take her back right. uh, across across the way. Across the way. <laughs> Here's like a little detail too about uh, this testimony actually came in the inquest, which I'll get to later, about kind of what led up to them leaving the party in the first ta- the first place. So as I said, Kennedy testified that he left the party at 1115. He never, he never changed the story, even when other people contradicted the time. When he said he was leaving, Kopechnik told him that she wanted to leave as well, and would he be kind enough to drop her back at her hotel. Kennedy got the keys to his car from his chauffeur, and... Um, when he was asked why his chauffeur didn't drive them both, Kennedy explained that Cremins and other guests were still eating their food uh, and enjoying the fellowship. That's a quote from Kennedy. And it didn't appear necessary for him to to have him leave when he was going anyway. And he but could all the them. pigs in a blanket had been <laughs> yeah. put away by 10 p.m. They were still enjoying fellowship. Uh, the fellowship of the rings. Um and then Kopechnik didn't tell anyone she was leaving with Kennedy, apparently. And no one ever... And next morning, all these people woke up and didn't even know she was missing. Uh, but she did leave her purse and hotel key at the party. So that kind of doesn't make sense either. One of the biggest early blows, and this happened on Sunday after the uh, accident... or fr- Yeah, Sunday, so two days after the accident, or I guess one and a half days, was this... was It came from the scuba diver who extricated the body from the car. And this is like... This gave me, like, heartburn because this is, like, such a horrible death, okay? So his name is John Farrar. He was the captain of the Edgerton Fire Rescue Unit, and he was the diver who um, who got her body. Uh, according to him, uh, by the way, I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this, the medical examiner said that she died of drowning. Right. Um, according to him, he didn't think that that was the case. Oh, really? He said uh, that she died from suffocation, Um or from the impact of the overturned vehicle. But he was leaning towards the suffocation because of this. She was in, this is a quote, she was in what I call a very conscious position, meaning she'd been alive and functional after the car had entered the water uh, roof first. Her head was at the floorboards, which would have been the roof because the car was upside down, where the last bit of air would have been. It seems like she was holding herself up into a pocket of air to breathe. It looked as if she was holding herself up to get the last breath. It was a consciously assumed position. She didn't drown. She died of suffocation in her own air void. It took her at least three or four hours to die. I could have got her out of the car 20 minutes after I got a call saying the accident happened, but he didn't call. Oh, Um, my God. I mean, that's just so horrible to me that she's trapped in this car like in this little well of air and basically suffocating because the carbon dioxide builds up um 
he said when he got her out of the submerged car, rigor mortis had already set in a bit and her hands were clasping the back seat and her face was turned upward. Oh, wow. Isn't that a horrifying image? Now, one thing that kind of interests me in the movie, and I'm not sure how far they go into it, is they do show the scene of her in the car screaming for help. Like they, they uh, whatever, reenact the scene yeah. of her struggling in the back. So I don't know how horrible it will be or how detailed it will be but I do know that they do have a scene of her basically begging for help so that was not good because now 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 someone is saying because you didn't do this she died like she could have lived if you had just fucking called from the first house um that Monday morning at this point chief arena is be fucking skewered but and like raked over the coals by the press So he did the bare minimum that he had to do required by law. He filed a complaint in district court charging with Ted Kennedy, charging Ted Kennedy with leaving the scene of an accident without negligence involved. Without (laughs) negligence. So this is literally like the minimum charge that he is willing to go. Uh, The special prosecutor in the report uh, emphasized that Ted had been driving with extreme caution at the time of the accident. It struck some observers that there was a slim basis for Either of these assertions, the dry, the diver who retrieved the body said the car must have been going at a pretty good clip to land almost in the middle of the channel. So they were driving fast. That's not exactly extreme yeah. caution. In fact, the bridge was kind of known as being a traffic hazard. So everyone drove with extreme caution, like because of what it was right. like a narrow bridge. So the fact like only someone who was literally not having extreme caution would have uh, drove off the dike bridge um, and maybe either been intoxicated or just reckless driving. Like right. there's just no way it would have happened if you were being careful. And then uh, as far as the negligence goes, um, how is it not negligent to spend so many hours between the accident and when you actually reported it? Uh, it's just bullshit. Um, after uh, making the charges and emerging from the courthouse, Arena was faced with more hostile questions from reporters and basically the reporters were saying to him, the fix is in. Like, yeah. you guys are all fucking covering up for the Kennedys. Uh, um, he also, They also asked him about the possibility that alcohol had been a factor. And Arena said, I did not ask that question of the senator. And I'm not pursuing that line of questioning Why at would you all. not ask that I question? I mean, it seems like a pretty basic question. Now, uh, so this is when the press started becoming much more unsympathetic <laughs> to Ted Kennedy. Right. His press was no longer uh, at all sort of making him one of the other victims in the thing. I mean, I'll, obviously, like, there was a lot of questions being asked by the press. Things like, why were you a married man driving around with this young woman? I mean, it's all these kind of dated sort of like as if a woman can be alone with a man, but it is sort of like, you know, have you been drinking? Why were you taking her down the road? Like, all these questions that the yeah. police weren't asking. The press was finally, like, fucking putting it in. And then they would get into the political stuff too. Like, do you really think you're fit to be a sitting senator? Uh, don't you think you ought to resign? Um, at this point, him not saying anything behind the fences of the Hyannisport uh, Kennedy compound was becoming deafening. Like the the sort of crisis team that I mentioned before, they quickly kind of knew that they had to get Kopechny's parents on board supporting Ted Kennedy and his story. Like they knew if the family started going off, they were right. fucking dead in the water. I mean, no, sorry. That was a bad pun. Jesus <laughs> I really didn't mean to do that. That honestly was the worst pun. <laughs> I never would say that. That's, I don't even know why. I don't even never say that. thing. <laughs> sorry. So they actually had, uh, Ted had had the, the bad co- phone call before. So they had his wife, uh, Joan call and they had Ethel Kennedy, the widow of Bobby Kennedy, call them as well, which is kind of like a low blow move, in my opinion, like Dude. to get the sympathy call from them. To give like uh, a character. Yeah. Like- and then Ted actually did call a second time and tried to have a conversation with them. And like the mom seems to buy it more, but the dad is definitely like, he's, you know, I could see he was trying to tell us more and he was sobbing uh, during the phone call because he was so broken up he couldn't talk. Like, come on. I can't. I would love to tell you all the details, but I'm sobbing. <laughs> uh, and then Tuesday, uh, after the incident, Ted um, went to her funeral. 
And here's like the hilarious um, Brady Bunch moment. He showed up in a neck brace to the funeral. Oh, come on. <laughs> like there had been nothing. No one had said he had suffered a neck injury. Like I love how he goes from pretending nothing had happened and now he has like a concussion and a neck brace. So he goes to the funeral, which honestly seems like kind of like a dick move because then all the press came. It's and all it just about turned him. the funeral into kind of a circus. Uh, the topper to all of the narcissism is as he was flying back to his uh, compound, a reporter from NBC named Liz Trotta uh, asked him a question. She said, there has been some question as to what effect this will have on your political career. And that stopped him cold. He turned around and said to her, I have just come from the funeral of a very lovely girl, and this is not an appropriate time. I'm not going to have any other comments to make. <laughs> Look. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that is a good question. And here's 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 my opinion. I just love his indignant like I, I know. But here's my opinion on that. I don't care what your politics are. If this guy is exercising bad judgment left right. and right, even if he is completely innocent, the fact that you walk by three different houses with their lights on, right. that is beyond me. I cannot get over that fact right now. Well, okay. So now he's still not really saying anything. So this is where people start kind of speculating all of these crazy things, including the fact that um, they were having a sexual relationship and that they were driving down to the beach to uh, have sex. Um, now, her family, like I said before, were devout Catholics. And I, I mean, God bless them. <laughs> I have nothing, no qualms with them. But they definitely had a bit of like, our daughter didn't drink. She would never engage in sexual intercourse before marriage. So I don't know her story. And I, quite frankly don't care if she fucked every guy in Washington. It doesn't right. matter to me. But there was like a little bit of discrepancy in the family's opinion of her and other yeah. people who were like not calling her a slut or anything like that, but saying like, yeah, she had a relationship with a guy before that just recently ended. Da, 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 da. Like, so, I mean, come on. Um, the, but like, as I said, people were asking questions because there was no autopsy and they didn't really know if the autopsy would prove that sex had happened. Like, I mean, it's all this kind of stuff to kind of mollify the reporters uh, they there did, wasn't an it was just the medical no, examiner. The that, medical examiner said it was an open and shut case, uh, cause of death drowning. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that was someone who was and people from the town and were skeptical of that too. He didn't really have a lot of experience. He had only diagnosed one drowning or something in his life or very few. Uh, but the police wanted to give something to the reporters. So they released the results of Mary Jo Kopechny's blood alcohol level at the time of her death, oh. which is weird because they didn't do it for Ted Kennedy. No. Right. Um, and as I said before, some of the girls had said that this was just a mild party with a little bit of alcohol consumption um, and that Mary Jo was a virtual teetotaler. Uh, but her blood alcohol was 0.09%. Now, Rachel. <laughs> That's very high blood alcohol content. I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. It means that a person weighing 110 pounds had an alcohol take of about 3.75 to 5 ounces of 80 to 90 proof liquor, which is about five drinks within one hour prior to her death. That's a lot of drinks. Yeah. That immediately, it didn't really mollify them as far as the sex stuff goes. It actually made them think, oh, yeah. They were, they were drunk and going to fuck on the beach. <laughs> um, but I do think it was interesting because it's like, of course they were partying. Like, who even right. cares? Like, but I mean, Ted Kennedy was like a well-known fucking drunk. The fact that he would not have been drinking is insane That's to me insane. that anyone would buy it. Um, as I said before, the family were upset about that revelation. Uh, and it, the, the situation was just spinning out of control because Ted basically wasn't fucking saying anything. To stop all of this stuff, he um, made, made arrangements to appear in the Edgerton Town Courthouse the following morning. And with he his clicked, neck brace? Yeah. <laughs> with, this and, time he rolls and in. And then Miss Brady brought the football. Oh, yeah. And this time he rolls in with like a, a cast and. Uh, right. So he's facing the charge of leaving the scene of a motor vehicle accident. He shows up in his blue suit and his dark tie and looking, uh, as the Times described him, like a ruined man. He entered the uh, courthouse with his head. Bow, you know, down and just very somber. The judge took his seat uh, and read the complaints about him with the very, very minor charge. Um, he pled guilty to this charge and then uh, slumped down into his chair. Uh, Kennedy's attorney suggested that any jail sentence should be suspended, and the prosecutors agreed because Kennedy's age, he was only 37 at the time, 
and his character and his prior reputation. So once again, a man being described as young at 37. He's and only 37. And a white guy not doing right, jail exactly. time. Uh, he was sentenced to two months incarceration, which was the minimum for the offense. And the um, sentence was suspended. So he didn't send any, uh, any time. Now, uh, when he announced the sentence and the suspension, uh, the judge also referred to Kennedy's unblemished record and said that he has already been and will continue to be punished far beyond anything this court can impose. You know what? Impose it anyway. You can say that about almost any criminal, like they're upset about maybe getting busted or the whatever happened to them. Um, he went back to Hyannis Park Kennedy compound after that, and that was the night he made a political, uh, finally made a statement or a speech about what had happened. This was like uh, broadcast by every major network, and it was a live speech at 7.30 uh, p.m. a Friday, which was like a week after um, what had happened. And it was, it was said that as many people watched this speech as watched Neil Armstrong take his first step on the moon. That's wild. Yeah, so that's like uh, a lot of people. I mean, that's how it was back in those days. There's only three channels. <laughs> Everyone watches the same thing if it's on all three channels. And this is a big story at this time. So I'm just going to kind of hit some of the highlights of his televised uh, statement. <clears throat> he uh, answered some questions. He said that the reason his wife wasn't on the trip was because of health issues. He said there was no uh, truth to the um, widely circulated, circulated suspicions of immoral contact, con- conduct between the two. He was not driving under the influence. His conduct during the hours after the accident made no sense to him at all. Um, his doctors informed them that he had a cerebral concussion and shock because he didn't seek medical condition. condition he didn't. What? But he did not seek to use his medical condition to escape responsibility for his actions. He's just letting us know. <laughs> he regarded his actions as indefensible. The fact that he did not report the accident to the police immediately. Uh, he you know, he went on to like basically it was basically sorry not sorry like I I regret what I did but I fucked up right. and I'm not really taking owning up to what really happened. Um, he also talked about all of his emotions, uh, grief. I was fear. I had doubt, exhaustion, panic, confusion, shock. Um, he said one of the reasons he didn't want, uh, his friends to, um, go back to the house was he didn't want to alarm their friends that night. Cause he was worried that they would go down to the water and help look for her body and that someone else would drown. Basically. He also made a plea to the voters of Massachusetts, asking them to decide whether or not he should resign. <laughs> Sorry. This just is all such bullshit. And I actually kind of like Ted Kennedy, but this is like literally ridiculous. Um, so he asked the voters of Massachusetts to think things through with me <laughs> as he faces this decision. He see- he was seeking their advice and opinion on the matter and, and seeking their prayers as well. <laughs> Their thoughts and prayers. Yeah, he was thinking there. He was an original thoughts and prayers. Uh, this speech was, by the way, kind of. Uh, I can't remember. No, wait, sorry. Never mind. Uh, he also quoted Ted Sorensen, who was Kennedy uh, JFK's speechwriter, and helped him write the book Profiles and Courage, which was like Kennedy's big whatever bullshit self help. <laughs> Uh, so he quotes Profile Encourages at the end about what it takes for a man to be courageous and da 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 And then he ends the speech, um, whatever is decided, whatever the future holds for me, I hope I shall be able to put this most recent tragedy behind me and make future contributions to mankind in public or private life. Please Thank vote you. for me. Yeah. Uh, this, pe- this speech was immediately panned and basically no one was like it was it came off really insincere they were saying it was self-serving yeah i mean people compared it to a famous speech by richard nixon that people called the checkers speech um he had gotten into some kind of financial issues when he was running as vice president with eisenhower and people basically were like you're using your dog checkers Uh, to get sympathy, which is kind of like something people still do using their dog to get sympathy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, the Kopechny's mother and father both were kind of fine <laughs> with the statement. I'm not quite sure what's going on with them. I, I mean, I'm not trying to judge them, but they, they're not giving Ted Kennedy as a hard a time as I would imagine. Yeah. Um, anyways, regardless of how it seems closed up, obviously it wasn't. People were still fucking making up things and trying to figure out what really happened. 
Um, a columnist named Jack Anderson had all of these sort of, uh, he wrote about Chapel Quiddick a lot, and some of his things were that Ted had tried to persuade Joey Gargan, his cousin, to say that he had been driving the car, and that was one of the things that was taking up all this time where he didn't report it. He said that um, Ted had done a ton of drinking that night and invited Mary Jo for a midnight swim, and that was why they were uh, going to the beach. I mean, obviously, they deny all of this kind of stuff. Um, the Manchester Union leader wrote about uh, the hours that happened, uh, what happened in in between those hours. Uh, they they had figured out somehow that he had made 17 long-distance phone calls that were all charged to his credit card. Five were um, made before midnight from the Chappaquiddick Cottage, and the other 12 were from the hotel on the shore. And the implication of that was that if Ted and his aides had made 17 calls um, from shortly before minute, midnight to shortly before dawn, uh, they were trying to develop a cover story. They yeah. weren't, it, this doesn't show Ted as being someone who's like exhausted and in shock. It shows someone who's like panicking and right. like his life is over and he's trying to figure out what the fuck am I, what do right. I do to get out of this? Um, as I said before, there was an inquest into Kopechny's death um, that happened in January of 1970, so about six months after. Um, and that's where we got a lot of Kennedy's testimony finally on the incident. Um, he he said that he did call for her uh, several times from the shore. He tried to swim down and reach her seven or eight times. Um, he rested on the bank for about 15 minutes, according to him, which I don't know why you would say that, before he walked back to the cottage. Um, he said he finally did walk back to the cottage to get his friends Gargan and Markham, and they all went back and dived multiple times into the water to try to rescue Kopechny, which I don't think any of this is true. Like, uh, there's no evidence that any of this happened. And I mentioned before how he said, like, he didn't want to tell the other people because he wanted to keep them separate from everything. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure it was all in their best interest. Gargan and Markham um, testified uh, that Kennedy... They assumed Kennedy was going to inform the authorities when he got back to the um, hotel, but um, he did not, obviously. So I feel like they kind of started separating themselves from his story a bit at this point. And then I think I've gone through everything what he did. He saw the manager when he came in at 2.55 a.m., and then the manager saw him again 7.30 a.m., all of that stuff I kind of mentioned up top. The judge did find probable cause that Kennedy might have committed a crime, and he could have a w issued a warrant for his arrest, arrest, but he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. Uh, Den 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 Dennis, D-I-N-I-S, uh, he was the uh, district attorney at the time. He also decided not to prosecute Kennedy for manslaughter. So even though they kind of found prob probable cause, no one decided to prosecute it. Uh, now, Kopechny's family did never... never uh, filed a civil suit against yeah. Kennedy. They did receive a payment of $90,000, which was a combination of uh, $50,000 from him and then some from his insurance company. They said that they never did that because they didn't want people to think that they were taking blood money. Um, another side effect of this uh, incident is that his wife, Joan, at the time was pregnant, and she it did stress her out so much that she suffered a third miscarriage wow. uh, during this period, and she never uh, conceived again. Um, she said, after that, I just thought we'd tried hard enough. So I think she had three miscarriages in a row, and it was just like, that's it. Um, a Republican at the time said, it's hard now to see Teddy Kennedy anyway, but as a coward. He destroyed the Kennedy myth. Uh, another Senate colleague said, I think we have finally come to the end of Camelot. He'll never be the same again. He'll go through life haunted by the ghost of that girl. And as the person, uh, I think I took this quote from, I think it was a Vanity Fair article, uh, they claimed that she now joined all the other ghosts that haunted him, which I think is kind of poetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, as I said before, there's a lot of conspiracies about this thing. Some of the bigger conspiracies are that Mary Jo was actually the one who was driving. And I don't really know why, why would I, that would... I don't think these necessarily benefit Kennedy, these conspiracies. But some people were saying, like, that she was shorter and that's why she missed uh, driving on the bridge. That's why she right. accidentally veered off because uh, I think she was only, like, 5'2". Um, so I don't really know. There was two major um, conspiracy people who thought that. Um, the other... 
uh, conspiracies are, of course, that the CIA did it. Just like that, there, that's all. Yeah, like there's always going to be like that they killed the other two brothers and that they also killed him. Which I feel like, well, that's an interesting way to do it, right? Like kill his pr- career by having him accidentally kill, kill someone. someone. Like um, another sort of uh, interesting um, thing is Joyce Carol Oates actually wrote a sort of fictionalized version of the story in her book Blackwater, and in the story he is like hardcore using her head as a step to get out of the car. Oh my God. Like he's like very murdery. Like right. she's trying to cling to him and he's like kicking her off. Fuck you bitch. And it actually, I was like, Oh, I need to read this book. It's called Blackwater. Uh, and then throughout the book, apparently she has a line that's repeated over and over again as the black water filled her lungs and she died. <laughs> so Joyce Carol Oates, come on. Um, so as I said before, Kennedy did kind of, he never became president, but he did become a sort of spokesman for progressivism and like a sort of elder statesman of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, in 2008, he was hospitalized for a seizure and diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. Uh, and then he died at the age of 77 uh, in August of 2009 on the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport, uh, Massachusetts. Now, um, Karan, the director of the movie that's coming out, he kind of has an interesting tie to how what happened at Chappaquiddick in a way paved the way for Donald Trump <laughs> becoming president. He's basically saying like by ending the possibility of having another Kennedy in the White House, it's likely that if this didn't happen, Ted would have become president in 1972 instead of Nixon. The war would have ended. The Southern strategy of the Republicans would have never really taken root because Nixon kind of really uh, pushed that. Mm-hmm. And there would have been no Watergate. So who knows what the political climate would have been after a different, a completely different run of events, right? So he's like, that's sort of why he thinks the movie is relevant to talk about. I don't know how, I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about because the Southern strategy is definitely something I think that helped pay the way for Trump, but I don't know that it necessarily wouldn't have happened without Nixon. Um, he also said it's a, it's a good look at how powerful men don't have to face consequences. And I would say not even powerful men, but like people like uh, Brock Turner, <laughs> like just wealthy white wealthy men. Wealthy white men. <clears throat> so I'm going to kind of try to end this on a lighter note. Jokes about Chappaquiddick were sort of like the Twitter of the day. <laughs> <laughs> like sort of satire and uh, stuff like that about Chappaquiddick were really hot after yeah. it happened, especially to kind of keep Ted Kennedy down. Right. Um, one of the, I'm going to name a few of the big ones. Time reported after the incident, um, there was like a joke. One sick joke already visualizes a Democrat asking about Nixon during the 1970. 1970- to presidential campaign. Would you let this man uh, sell you a used car? Answer, yes, but I sure wouldn't let that Teddy drive it. <laughs> Sorry. And the National Lampoon also had a mock advertisement showing a floating Volkswagen Beetle with the remark that Kennedy would have been elected president had he been driving a Beetle that night. Basically because Beetles floated in the water. Right. Whereas this heavy Oldsmobile kind of sunk. Right. Uh, And they actually got sued by Volkswagen because it was an unauthorized use of their trademark. There was also a a limerick. There was once a senator from Mass who wanted a new piece of ass. He lucked up and found her. He fucked up and drowned her. Now his chance to be president has passed. I'm sorry. That's brutal. (laughs) And then here's two jokes I'm going to end on. An aide went into Rose Kennedy's bedroom early one morning to tell her the sad news that Jackie had died. That's terrible, the old lady rasped. Was Teddy driving? I'm sorry. That's like from Jackie O dying from like the 90s. They were still making Chappaquiddick jokes. That's a terrible joke. That is a terrible one. Not because it's like mean-spirited. It's just not a good joke. They're like like getting the last gasps of Chappaquiddick jokes, right? (laughs) And then the last one is, who are you going to vote for, Nixon or Ted Kennedy? Nixon, he landed a man on the moon. Kennedy couldn't get a girl across a bridge. <laughs> and then they said something. Uh, the joke I found this on, it said, uh, the original joke used a much more derogatory word than girl. I actually tried to find it. <laughs> what was, was the well, bitch? I was like, what they call her, bitch or whore? Like, I have no idea what they used. Uh, so those are some Chappaquiddick jokes. They're not very good. I tried They're to not. find some good ones. But uh, those did kind of haunt him his cr- whole career. So that's the story. 
of Chappaquiddick. <laughs> I had never, I mean, I know tra- Chappaquiddick. Right. Name. But the details are, I don't, I, I think I, I thought I knew a lot about it, but then I was reading, I was like, oh my God, like, oh my God, he did that. Like, I think I right. had a more sympathetic take on it for right. him than I realized how bad he fucked up. Like, I think I bought kind of the idea that he was disoriented. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, well, it was 10 hours. Like, it's just. And hearing how she died, too, is like that just horrible. That chilled me to my core. Yeah, it's I mean, horrible. that is awful. I yeah. feel really bad for her. That's like, Sad. what a way to go. So I'm excited for the movie, though. I, I do too. feel like the movie is going to be really good. Who's in it again? Rooney Mara? Kate Mara. Kate Mara. She plays Mary Jo. Um, other people in it, there's some like weird people in it, like Ed Helms and uh, Jim Gaffigan play the oh, two whoa. guys, Paul Markham and uh, Joey Gargan, the cousin. So I like they're like in it. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where they have like com- com- comedy actors in these kind of more dramatic roles, which yeah, I like uh, that. people have done in, in the past, I think. Speaking of which, uh, not. I think it was this past it was this past week's SVU. Uh, Will Sasso was on it. Oh, and he's he was on Mad TV. Right, he played Kenny Rogers. <laughs> he fucking amazing impression. He had this dramatic role on the most recent episode of SVU, and he was fantastic. Oh, like I was like I can't believe that's this fucking goofy ass guy, right? Who used to play Kenny Rogers. On Mad TV. Yeah. There's a lot of peop- talented people that came out of Mad TV. Right. Definitely. I mean, Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. for one. Yeah. But, like, anyway, just the, just an aside that it yeah. is, I, I do enjoy seeing comedic actors right. do dramatic roles to see what they can do with it. I feel like there, I can't think of the top of my head, but I feel like there's been some movies, like, in the recent past that have done that. Yeah. Used, like, comedy actors in these more serious roles. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, you know which one it was I'm thinking of? The Post. They had Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Oh, well, Bob Odenkirk is a fantastic <gasps> Right, actor. right, right, right. Well, that's not as shocking, but to have them David both Cross together is, yeah, that's, was sort of like definitely. That's more interesting uh, to me to see him in a dramatic role. It wasn't a big one, but I remember it was one of those ones. I was like, who is that? Like, I recognize him because yeah. he had like a different look. But right. Can't fool me. Can't fool me. <laughs> Um, okay. Okay. Wow. That was great. Okay. Um, I learned a lot today and, um, I'm going to go promptly to bed right now. Okay. So I'm going to upload this in the morning Mm -hmm. and, um, thank thank you guys for listening to our show. Bye. Bye.